The Gospel of John, we are starting in chapter 18, and Jesus has just finished all his teaching with his disciples, and Judas is about to now betray him, and we're going to kick off that, that journey for Jesus. In the past few chapters, I've been reading every word because these were, I don't know, Jesus speaking. I, I just felt like I really needed to get deep into it, so I'll switch back to just commenting here and there. And by the way, this is, uh, so I'm always recording, well, I'm usually recording these one day before they're posted. So for me, this is the first day of Feast of Tabernacles, or Feast of Booths. Uh, the the celebration of the, of the time when God was amongst us, as we were the people Israel, traveling the wilderness, and, you know, in a, a desert place with no food or water, He always provided food or water. Our clothes did not wear out. We did not get sick. He took care of our every need. He was our God, and we were his people. Um, I always look forward to these holidays, and I, I, I think as we seek the Lord in these holidays, um, he does something special. And he will fulfill this holiday in mighty ways, just as he has the spring high holidays. So this is the final holiday on our calendar year, the way we mark it January to December. This is the final of the big seven holidays that God gave Moses, and it lasts from Saturday to Saturday. We talked about this holiday earlier in John when Jesus uh, went up to the feast and he declared that uh, living waters spring forth from him. Um, that he is the light of the world. These were teachings that he gave on this holiday. And this is a holiday God told Moses to uh, to make for yourself a little uh, booth outside and uh, stay outside for a week. Um, I've been, we, I think it was like two years ago we went camping on this holiday, which I'd always wanted to do. <laughs> we finally did it. Um, so, uh, you know... The, I think it's good to to look into the meaning of these things. What is God saying? And I certainly am not. That's not my purpose for today's recording. But uh, but um, but certainly, if you can, you know, camp this week. You'd be outside. Uh, you know, realize how connected we are to Him and how dependent we are to Him by kind of living away from your creature comforts. I think that's wonderful. Um, and, uh, but I'm, I'm not doing, I don't know. We'll, we'll see if we'll come up with something here or there outside, but, uh, but, you know, more importantly, seeking him in your heart, in your life to see what he's doing in this season. So Jesus crosses the Kidron Valley with his disciples into the garden, which uh, he entered with his disciples and he had taken them many times. So Judas knew about it and Judas was betraying him. And John says that Judas had not only guards and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, but also a Roman cohort. And they came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. And Jesus knew that they were coming. And so he said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. And he said to them, I am he. And also Judas, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So he said to him, said to them, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. So his very speaking, I am he, 
you know, I am being the, the name of God that God had given to Moses. Um, just, just this power knocked them on their rear ends. And, uh, and so then, therefore, he again asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And he said, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these go their way. So again, in the natural, in the physical, he's, uh, he's going to be taken away. They're in charge, right? In the spiritual, he's very much in charge. And he's directing them on, you know, you're going to take me, but you're not going to take them. And so he, he, uh, John says he was fulfilling the word which he spoke. Of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Peter had a sword. He drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And his name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? So he's saying, look, this is what's called for. This, You know, it's got to be confusing. I think I've said this in the other Gospels, but he had just got done saying, Now's the time you'll need swords. <laughs> I think they said we have two, and he said that's enough. And here Peter uses the sword like an hour later, and maybe a couple, I don't know, and uh, probably several because Jesus had been praying. Uh, and <laughs> and then he, he uh, reprimands Peter for using the sword. Uh, so Peter's confused. He's not understanding the spiritual meaning of these things. Um still completely in the physical but but Jesus says look this is what I'm called to I'm going to to go to it so all these guards and officials uh, took them to Anas or Anias first who was father-in-law of Caiaphas and, and this can be confusing what I've heard taught before that was Anas was the high priest previously and he had very much uh, agitated the Romans and so they said he could not be high priest anymore so they made his son-in-law Caiaphas high priest so officially Caiaphas was high priest but the people still kind of looked at Anas or Anias uh, as high priest because um, you know the Romans changed him it wasn't their decision to change him so they kind of looked at him still as the high priest, even though Caiaphas was a high priest. So they were kind of both high priests. That's why they took him to Anas and not directly to Caiaphas. And so it says, Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Remember, he had prophesied this. He had said it. He thought he had said it because he just wanted to kill Jesus for the good of the people. Of course, the Lord was prophesying through him that the the sacrifice of the one perfect son was necessary in order for all of us to be healed. And so Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. John is always vague about himself. He calls himself things like another disciple. And so uh, Peter and John are following and somehow John knew the high priest, and so he was able to enter into the court of the high priest. Uh, Peter did not, and he was standing outside. And so John uh, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. And then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he says, I am not. 
Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves, and Peter also wanted to get warm. And then the high priest then questioned Jesus about disciples and about his teaching. And so Jesus answers him, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together, and I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. And so when he had said this, one of the officers hit him and said, Is that the way you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Anas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So Jesus is calling into question. He's actually fairly outspoken in this this part. Um, rather than just staying silent, he says, I've taught openly and you did nothing. But now you arrest me in secret. Does that seem like the right thing? It's funny. Sometimes I've encountered this recently. Um, sometimes when the work... One's operating the work of the Spirit, and one's operating in uh, by a different Spirit entirely. Um, it can be quite obvious to the one in the Spirit, <laughs> and you, you say, well, look how you're acting. It's quite obvious you're not being led by God here. <laughs> Shouldn't look, you know, in this case, Jesus is like, you, you're arresting me in secret when you could have arrested me in the temple any time. Isn't that pretty clearly uh, you're not following the Lord? You're doing something else? Um, you know, a lot of times when the evil one is working in a person, it comes out. It comes out in rage. It comes out in, uh, you know, different ways. And uh, But the one operating under that, you know, if he or she has not doesn't humble themselves, like they, they just can't see it because the Spirit... Uh, the spirit is strong. And so, you know, Jesus is just pointing out to them what this is. It's not going to change anything. And he gets hit for it. And he says, why are you hitting me? I, well, everything I said is true. And, uh, and so then he sends him to Caiaphas, who's the actual high priest. Okay, I have just uh, moved locations in the house. <laughs> People are getting up. And uh, so I've got to go to stay in a quiet place. And um, I think I, where I was, was uh, Peter again denying that he is Jesus' disciple. And one of the ones questioning him was actually a relative of Malchus, who Peter cut his ear off. He says, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. And then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter the praetorium, so they would not be defiled but might eat the Passover. So they're bringing him before Pilate. So Pilate comes out to him and says, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate says, Take him yourself and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to them, We are not permitted to put anyone to death, to fulfill the word of Jesus which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? It, 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 it's Again, I've mentioned this before in other Gospels, but it's fascinating to me, and I just mentioned it. It's fascinating to me that uh, Jesus is undergoing this. He knows he's about to be killed, 
And that's why Pilot is freaked out, because everyone else in this situation starts begging for their life and trying to explain why they deserve to live, and Jesus is doing none of that. He's completely different than every other person Pilate has judged. And as a matter of fact, Jesus is the judge spiritually here, not. And so he's turning the tables on Pilate, and Pilate doesn't know what to make of this. He says, am, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. That's something a lot of Christians still haven't gotten their minds around. Like, this, the, the kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. Until the final thing, when evil is locked up and, and Jesus is on his throne, uh, for that, as I understand it, for that thousand year reign, um, then it's not going to be that, that Christians take over everything. There's a full on war going on and the enemy controls all the world that's not in the kingdom. The kingdom is a spiritual reality. Jesus is very clear about that here. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are not a, so, sorry, so you are a king? Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? So Jesus is speaking of... <laughs> imagine, you're used to judging people and, and giving directions for them to be executed, and every time they beg for you not to execute them. And here you're, you're doing, you find yourself in the same position and the man that you're judging starts talking about philosophical deep truths of life. <laughs> and you're like, what is going on here? <laughs> like, I, I, I'm trying to decide if this guy should be, uh, you know, killed or not. And he's talking about deep things that I don't understand, which seem to have nothing to do with whether or not I kill him. I, I don't, you know, he's just... He's perplexed. He has no idea what's going on. And he's just like, what is truth? You know, all of a sudden a philosophical question has been opened up. What is life? What is the meaning of life? What is truth? He doesn't know. He's just doing his job. And Jesus is speaking to these, these uh, deep things. They're in two completely different realities. But what Pilate does know is this man is not guilty of whatever worldly thing y'all are... are uh, saying he did. And so he goes out to the Jews and he says to them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And uh, other places they call him a zealot, a murderer. Um, John just calls him a, a robber. Um, but again, as I've mentioned probably in all the other Gospels, he's a good picture of us, that we don't deserve to go free, and yet we go free. It's kind of like they're the two goats um, on the Day of Atonement, right? One, uh, one is the offering, one is the scapegoat. Um, here, Barabbas is the sinner that goes free. Jesus is the sinless one who takes the punishment. And then we're on to chapter 19. Then Pilate had Jesus scourged, scourged, <laughs> and the soldiers twisted together a, a crown of thorns, put it on his head, put a purple robe on him, 
So they're putting on him signs of royalty. They're they're mocking him, of course. It's not a king's crown; it's a crown of thorns. But again, it, it's kind of a picture of uh, of him as our. So on one hand, we see he's king of kings. He's got a crown. He's got the purple robe. Purple robe. Now that's actually expensive. Uh, the color purple was expensive back then, and so to put a purple robe on him was actually uh, valuable. A uh, crown of thorns wouldn't be valuable at all. Um, not like a king's crown of gold or something, but it's, but it's a crown they put on him. And it, you know, it's kind of symbolizes that he is the king of kings. And yet because his ground, his crown is made of thorns, it, it kind of shows that he's the Passover lamb. Purple, of course, being the color of royalty. And so he's, you know, they take him out and they all yell, hail king of the Jews. And they slap him in the face and uh, Pilate came out and said, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So now he's being presented as king, with his robe and his crown, even though he's been beaten and bloody. And he's found to have no guilt. He's found to be perfect. If you go back to, again to Passover, I, I know we've done this all before, but there's four Gospels. So, um, the, 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 the lamb had to be inspected and found to be perfect before it was used as the Passover sacrifice. And so that's what's happening with Jesus. He's been, he's been inspected by the city for four days. This is kind of the end of it. He's being inspected by Pilate. He's about to be inspected by Herod. And he's found to be without sin. And yet they kill him anyways. And Pilate sees, sees him in the, the robe and the crown. And he, he cries out to the people, Behold the man! Which is an interesting thing to say. So when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify! Crucify! And you know, Pilate's not understanding any of this. He says to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, Pilate heard the statement, and he was even more afraid. He entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So he's Roman. So remember, he believes in lots of gods, and they have kids that walk the earth. and all, You know, they have all kinds of stuff like that. So when he hears that Jesus is claiming to be a son of God, and he's just had this interaction with him, which was kind of otherworldly. It was nothing like he'd ever experienced before. And then they say that he claims to be a son of a god. <laughs> He's like, whoa, man, if I kill a son of a god, I am going to be in deep trouble with the gods. That's probably what he's thinking. So all of a sudden, he's like, man, i got to be careful what I'm doing here. He goes back to Jesus and says, where are you from? And Pilate says to him, you do not speak to me? Do you not know? So, oh, sorry, Jesus didn't answer. And, and Pilate says, do you, you do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? And again, Jesus turns the tables on him. You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And so as a result, Pilate made an effort to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be king opposes Caesar. So Pilate had been in trouble for the the Jews didn't go down easily as some other people did that the Romans conquered. A lot of people that the Romans conquered 
they just became, you know, good Roman subjects. But the Jews, the Germans are famous for never being quite conquered. They'd be conquered for a little while, but then they would rise up. And um, the Romans never truly conquered uh, the German tribes. Um, Jews were somewhat similar, although they were far more conquered than the Germans. Um, they were conquered, but they would rise up from time to time. I mean, that's what the Zealots were. They were a people that were all about independence. And so they would rise up. And every time they did, Pilate would get in trouble with the uh, Caesar. And so, he, you know, his job's on the line here. And so the Jews know this. And so the Jews are playing his strings and saying, hey, if you don't kill him, we're going to tell Caesar that you're against Caesar. And so that's his hot button, right? I mean, he cares about his job. And it's not like getting you getting fired from a job where you got to find a new job. You mess with Caesar, you get dead. And so, uh, you know, Pilate doesn't want to execute Jesus, but he doesn't want to be dead himself either. So he finds himself in this difficult place. And so Pilate brings him out, uh, sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the pavement, but in Hebrew it was called Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation, so this is Passover, um, the day before the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was about, I don't know why the scripture, Jews today do it, the scripture did it. Moses was really clear, there's one day of Passover and then one week of Feast of Unleavened Bread. But somewhere along the way, that whole eight-day time period got called Passover, so it, it adds to confusion. But the, the day of preparation is the Passover. And then the the uh, week-long celebration after it is, according to God and according to Moses, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, and so it was the sixth hour, so that's uh, 6 a.m., right? So all this is happening very early. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cry out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate says, Shall I crucify your king? <laughs> I don't know. I think he's just mocking them at this point, but... But maybe he's still trying to get out of it. But I don't know. So the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. And so that's actually very um, condemning, self-condemning statement. The chief priests are saying, Remember, God didn't even want to give Israel a king. The people demanded a king. God set up the time of the judges where the people were just a people of God and he was their king. They were unlike any other people. That was the kingdom that God set up, where he was the king and there was no other king. But the people would turn away from them, and then they would cry out to God, and he would raise up a judge. And so the judge would sort of be in charge for a while, but he wasn't a true king. In some ways, he's kind of like a king, because, I mean, he was in charge. But not necessarily even over the whole area. He, he would just... He could have certain levels of authority and respect because he would save the people from their enemies. But then, even, even I think Gideon tried to make it a hereditary thing, and that didn't work. Um, I don't even remember any of the others trying to make it a hereditary title. It was just God would raise up judges as needed. And God said, I want to be your king. And the people demanded a king like all the other people. So he gave them Saul which didn't go that well. Sometimes some parts of it went well. And then the, he gave him king, uh, sorry, he gave him David, which was a good king. And um, so, but the, so then they had a king, but really God always wanted to be their king. But what did the chief priest say? Not even like, 
uh, Davidic king, they say we have no king but Caesar. So our kingdom is of this world, is what they're saying. And he, they were right. And Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not of this world. And so you see that, that uh, the difference. So Pilate hands him over to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha, where they crucified him and with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. If you go to uh, to Jerusalem, make sure you check out the um, garden tomb. Um, the really long historical place of Jesus's death there's a giant church built on it and so there's nothing to make you appreciate this place there's the Anglican church has a place called the garden tomb and the guy that uh has given the um the tour the two times I've been there um you know he he says look for one we're not saying this is for sure the 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 uh the tomb here is a tomb you can see it and here is a place that looks like a skull in the cliff. So you can see why it would be called that. And here's a 2,000-year-old wine press that shows that this is the, this garden-type thing, like, like it's described in the Bible. And it's outside the walls, which the one that has the church on it that the three sects of Christianity fight over is inside the walls. And so that actually does not fit the scripture narrative. Um, so he says, you know, this could be it, but... Um, but we don't know. We just kind of saw this spot and thought, you know what, this could be it. <laughs> and it's, it's not on a giant hill because he says the Romans didn't actually, uh, crucify people on top of hills. They crucified people where a lot of people were, um, coming and going like along roadsides so that people would see it and get the message. And so this place, it actually, there's a place underneath there, which is a bus stop today. And he said, it's always had that purpose. Um, of, of vehicles coming, you know, back then it would have been carriages coming and going. So this fits the scripture. Whether or not it is the spot, we have no idea. We're not making any claims. But it's it's a beautiful place. It's it's a really nice place to. Uh, it's a you know it's a serene garden and um, and there is a tomb there and you can see the tomb and there is a place that looks like a skull. So you say, well, I understand why they would call that the place of the skull. And, um, and so, I don't know, I, I, if you go to Jerusalem, I recommend going to that spot. At the same time, it's not necessary to ever go to Jerusalem. Um, the new Jerusalem is a spiritual reality. God's kingdom is available anywhere and everywhere, um, in, in a spiritual way. So I love it. I, I hope to go again. I, you know, I, it, it can be, it can be a, a good way to connect with the Lord, to actually see the places that in this case, he's crucified, or in other places where he's ministering, and, and that can be wonderful, and I enjoy it, and I'm sure I'll do it again, but, but if you never go, who cares? The Lord, the purpose of the Lord is that you come into his life, well, you know, right now, I'm in a little room by myself, um, like, that's where the Lord is, <laughs> you don't need to go to Jerusalem for that. So they crucified Jesus, he's between two other men, and Pilate had the inscription written on his cross, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. And therefore many of the Jews read it, and because he it says, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. 
So again, that does not imply on top of a big hill that you have to climb this big hill in order to read it. Um, that's not what's implied here. It's implied that it's a place where people are coming and going. So, I mean, I, I don't know if this matters. It's not like it's a, it's a huge error for people to think it's on a big hill. It's just, that's a common thing. You've seen all the movies, and um, that's not actually what the scripture says. So, you know, it's good to point these things out. So, you know what is, is good about when we see things like that, and we realize we have a misconception of something that's really not that big of a deal. It's not that important, and I, at least I don't see any reason why that's important. It can maybe open us up to the fact that some of our religion that we've accepted over the years that is important might not be true either. And that is a powerful realization because it opens us up to, Lord, help me to eschew all, uh, all, all areas of wrongness in my life. Anything that's not the truth, help me to know that and to cut that out so that I only worship you in spirit and truth not according to the religion of man. John wrote this, and John was there. He's the only one that was there. But they would have all known where he was, you know, where he uh, was on his cross, of course. But John was literally there. So, I think he, you know, he's a good witness. So, the chief priests do not like the fact that he's king of the Jews is written there. And so they tell Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written... I have written. So basically, tough luck. And so he's not only wearing the, these... Now, of course, once he's on there, the, the robe is taken off. But but he's presented as a king, and it's written that he's the king. And so the soldiers start divvying up his outer garments. And they apparently they, he's got four outer garments, so they each took one. And now the tunic was seamless and woven in one place. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, because what good is a fourth of a tunic? Let's cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. And this was another prophecy fulfilled. Um, I don't remember which one. I'm going to guess Isaiah. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So one of the prophets had prophesied this, and this happens. It's amazing how many prophecies were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And so the soldiers did that, and one of them got his tunic. But standing by the cross of Jesus, his mother was there, his mother's sister, so that's interesting, we don't hear about her much, Mary, the wife of Clopas, so she was a, Clopas was a high official, so Mary was probably a rich woman, and she was there following, this Mary, there's, you know, several Marys, and Mary Magdalene was there, and then Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. So this is John. John doesn't call himself by name. He said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. So John, which is very interesting. To Jesus, it was more important that... Um, and of course, it's the will of the Father, right? But so I'm not trying to separate those things. But to Jesus, to the Father, it was more important that Mary be taken care of by a spiritual son of God than by her own natural sons. That's really powerful because she had multiple, and actually, two of them became leaders in the church. James became a very big leader in the church. 
But at this point, they had not followed the Lord. And they had not believed in him. And so he, instead of having her own physical sons watch over her the rest of her life and take care of her, because her husband had died and she needed somebody to take care of her in that, in that time, in that culture, John is the one that takes care of her. And they actually, uh, if you go to Turkey, they have the place where um, where they lived into old age. Um, John, you know, and we're going to see in, here in a couple chapters, uh, John, uh, well, we'll get there when we get there. But uh, uh, John was the only one that lived into old age. And part of the reason for that is he took care of Jesus' mother, which that was important to Jesus. Jesus made very clear the spiritual is more important than the physical. But she was still his mom, <laughs> and he wanted his mom taken care of. And, of course, the father granted that. And so that, that's powerful in many ways, that the father knows that we have certain concerns. And he, he's asking Jesus to go to his death. And Jesus says, but I'm the oldest son of my mother. I'm supposed to take care of my mother. Will you, will you, you know, assure me that she's taken care of? And the father says, of course, I'll make sure she's taken care of. And he assigns John for that duty. And so John is the only one of the disciples, of the 11 disciples that are left, of the main closest disciples, who isn't killed for the gospel. You see how this is all connected? Um, God is powerful and he's loving and he's kind and he does call some to martyr. He calls us to difficult things, whatever that looks like in each of our lives. But he still loves us and cares for us and he knows that we have things of the world that we care about and he is accommodating and and full of grace and mercy in these things and so jesus knew that all the scripture had been fulfilled at this point other than the actual dying part so he says i am thirsty and a jar full of sour wine was standing there so they put a sponge in it and they lifted it up to him upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth and therefore when jesus had uh, received the sour wine he said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit and then the the jews because it was the day of preparation uh so you know so so the scripture says you you can't leave up uh, somebody on a tree on you know, on the Sabbath, I think, I can't remember, does the scripture say when night falls, or specifically on a Sabbath, either way, the law of Moses says it'll be a curse on the entire land if you do this, and uh, so the Jews want to get him down before sunset, because the Sabbath begins, and the Sabbath, this, in John specifically says that Sabbath is a high day, so he's, he's saying this wasn't a, a normal Saturday Sabbath, this was the first day of Feast of Unleavened Bread, which actually would have been Thursday that year. That changes every year, but in that year it was Thursday. Jesus died on a Wednesday. The high Sabbath was a Thursday, and they had to get him down before the sun went down because a biblical day starts in the in the night. And so uh, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs be broken, that they may be taken away so that they're not hanging on, on the tree, on the cross, uh, to be a curse on the land. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man, and of the other a thief that was crucified. and But they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead, and they did not break his legs. Again, the Passover lamb was not to have any legs broken. And so Jesus' legs were not broken, even though the two men next to him were. 
So again, fulfilling every dot and tittle of, of prophecy and law. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with... So, so he, backing up, he fulfilled the law and the prophet. It's amazing, John pointing out all these little details. So he fulfilled the law, things like he shouldn't be, uh, you know, on the cross overnight. He shouldn't have a bone broken. Those are, those are in the law of Moses. But then also fulfilling the prophets, them gambling for his clothes, um, being in the tomb of a rich man. He fulfilled both the law and the prophets. So basically the entire Old Testament. It's amazing. But just to make sure he was dead, one of the soldiers uh, pierced his side with a spear. Immediately blood and water came out. Uh, which again, it's a picture. The, the blood that washes us clean, the water, the river of life, both come from Jesus. And So he's our salvation, he's our sanctification, and he's our life. And he who has seen has testified. Now John's talking about himself. He said, I saw this and I'm testifying and I'm just, I'm changing this to first person. And my testimony is true. And I know that I am telling the truth so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look to him whom they pierced. So yeah, again, that was uh, prophesied as well. That definitely is Isaiah 53, I believe. Um, that, you know, we should look upon, oh, you know, we pierced him. So he was specifically pierced to fulfill the prophets. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one, he didn't want the Jews to know. Uh, you know, they, he didn't, he followed Jesus secretly, but he didn't want to lose his power and position. So he didn't tell the rest of the council that he was following Jesus. But he, but he had enough position and power and money to go speak to Pilate to take the body of Jesus. And Pilate told him he could, so he came and took his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, remember John 3, and he's teaching about being born again, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen, wrapping with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. So he's being buried in the way a rich man is buried and uh, now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden and in the garden a new tomb in which no one yet had been laid therefore because of the jewish day of preparation since the tomb was nearby they laid jesus there and that's uh, we'll end there today the lord bless you